hit record. So we lied to everybody. We said we were done with the with this season of mentioned and dispatches, and here we are back with a bonus episode. Why? Well, because David and Stennis dragged us back in here. David, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, but you you need that gif from uh, from Godfather Part Three, where where yeah. where Pacino cries out about being pulled back in. Yeah, yeah. And so if, if we've got David here talking Napoleonics, of course we have our buddy Cyrano. Jim is back. Welcome, Jim. Good evening. So, um, look, I'm not kidding when I say this is all David's fault because, David, (laughs) you're the guy that had to go and launch a new line of really cool Napoleonic minis after we were done recording the season. So, like, I'm not 100% sure what your problem was with the timing on all of this. Um, We can talk about that if you want. There's been some problems problems with the timing. (laughs) Yeah, so, 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 you know... (laughs) Your Honor, I'm allowing the witness to take the stand. Um, please explain yourself. What the vert the flirt, right? Do, do we want to start with with why now and why not? Uh, well, I, well first of all, wait, 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 wait. We, I want to. We'll get there. But I, David, David sent me toys. He sent you two toys, right, Brent? I, I have toys. I have we toys. Have toys. I mean, like, you I both should screen, have the same audio toy. Show. We both, we both have. At, okay, uh, Brent, without looking at him, what nation are these toys from? I, I'm guessing they are French. All right. Well done. Well done. Points to you, sir. They are indeed. Um, so well done. No, these are, first of all, let's, let's talk very, I'd like to talk very, very specifically about these toys, but first things first, you have released through the war game company, a line of blank millimeter Napoleonic minis. Am I supposed to fill in the blank? You are supposed to fill in that blank. 10 millimeter. They are 10 millimeter, ladies and gentlemen. You, I don't know, Brian, if you remember the fuss that I made when another company <laughs> oh, that I will not name. As soon as you were asking the question, I knew where you were going with this. Oh, this okay is- then. I, I, are, I will you, not name are you and I, it's, the question of existing standards uh, yes yeah, well not- here, here's the thing and here's the thing and this is i still feel this way and i feel this way rather passionately the the reality of it is one company is going to struggle no matter what it does to fill all the gaps and i'm going to ask you that question before the night is out but any company's going to struggle to fill all the gaps. So a person like me who wants to do all sorts of crazy Napoleonic campaigns and might want to do Ottomans, might want to do Saxons, hi, Chrono, and, you know, all, all the other stuff that the people that I know love, they know that there's going to be a, a hard time filling all, covering the whole table. And so coming out with a uniform standard is a great idea because it partners well with other companies. It shares the space and it builds the hobby and it gives people a chance to compare and contrast. So first of all, huge points, in my humble opinion, to David for coming out with a 10 millimeter line. This is awesome. But what's really revolutionary to me... As as someone who was raised on figures like ESCI, which I've always pronounced SGI, I don't know, um, Hat and Atlantic. And yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen, Airfix. This this is a, a new generation. These figures are plastic, question mark? Yes. I, I don't know how deep I want to go down this rabbit hole. But <laughs> it's a little bit of a rabbit. I can't go that. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to go take it too far. Deep, but I can, but this can is, do a this is a whole new generation of plastic. Yeah, this you know? is like hard plastic that doesn't snap as soon as you look at it sideways. Right, well, um, well, number one, it doesn't snap when you look at it sideways, but it's also not rubbery, yes. you know, highly flexible, and therefore almost certain to chip the paint you try to put on it. Yeah, yeah, these are not yoga minis. 
There you go. So, so you have done both. You have done both these things. Ten millimeter plastic minis built, of course, for the greatest period of all wargaming, Napoleonic. And I, I guess the we've talked a little bit about why you went here, but can you reveal? Have you told us who's your sculptor, if you can say? <laughs> um, we've we've actually had. Hang on, I got to count. Um, they're not. They haven't all been sculpted by the same person. Most of them have been sculpted by the same person. Um, who I don't think I've ever disclosed. But um, it's a it's a woman from Spain. Um, and she's phenomenal. Yes, she um, is. The the French that you guys have were not sculpted by her. Um, they were sculpted by a woman in I think the Czech Republic. If I remember correctly, because this is we started this project. So we we started this project. I guess our official date is effectively eight May twenty nineteen. Um, it was. It, I looked back on it when we finally announced our our pre orders. I went back in my email. I kind of personal curiosity to figure out how long the hell have we been doing this um i feel older what's going on uh, um, i do remember you mentioning it once that you had started this before the pandemic yeah um so it's been a while um and so the the first email that i have to a contractor kicking off the project is is eight may of 2019 um and that was the the first company that we had working as a sculpt manager for us under contract and um the the sculptor who did our preliminary stuff and a, a vast library of parts um i'm honestly not sure if i ever knew her name um but she was from eastern europe i think the czech republic and and did a fantastic job and so the the figures that you've got um those were done by her um since then I want to say that we have had three other sculptors and the majority of the line has been sculpted by um, one of them who happens to be a, a woman in Spain. Um, and and they, despite the fact that different people have worked on them, you know, the question comes up, how well do they match with each other? That, that I actually have to think about who did them when um, <laughs> to know who did them. But there, it's a little bit similar to traditional hand sculpting and a little bit different at the same time. And that there is a library of parts that gets built when doing digital sculpting. Yeah. And, and so for the most part, we have overwhelmingly reused those pieces. So it's sculpt a musket once, uh, sculpt a French Shaco once, um, sculpt a Russian Shaco once, etc. Yeah. Um, and and that helps quite a lot. So the, the original sculptor that we had built out dollies for us and in a large library, and then everyone else that we've worked with has added to them. Now, now you you sort of leapt ahead to my next question, which was obviously this is, I, look, I'm from the the first. I actually poured my own minis once upon a time because. Don Featherstone told me in one of his books that it would definitely be safe to make a model out of plaster of Paris and pour lead into it. Okay. So, so did I did you I don't breathe have, deeply. I, I did. I did. The one thing it did say is be very careful. Don't put your face over the, you know, you make a mold and you stick a hole in the top of it and then you pour the lead into the hole at the top. Yeah. And it said, don't look over the hole because if there's any moisture in there, that lead is going to come shooting back out. Yeah. <laughs> And, and okay, so it did so say that. So, Jay, 
Jim, hang on, because I, I feel like we're anybody that listens to this podcast is probably not too, you know, too taken aback by the fact that we started in the middle of a conversation here. But to, <laughs> to, to set the stage for anyone who expected something remotely resembling a normal conversation here, oh. David, what the heck are we playing with? We, we've got some minis from the Wargaming Company. You guys have done rule books and campaign guides and painting guides and all kinds of stuff forever. Now you've got your own minis. Let's start at the beginning. You guys decided to make some minis. We just talked about sculpting these things. What are the boxes we're seeing? Which ones are coming? How quickly are they getting here? What are people playing with them? Let's 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 sort of back up to sort of not starting Monopoly on the second trip around the board. I was, so, very, uh, I was very excited. I'll be over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be over here looking at my minis. Yeah. Um, you just wait for us on New Jersey Avenue. We'll we'll round the corner and get to you here in a second. <laughs> so I'll give you some some bullet points. Yeah, we we do uh, an operational level Napoleonic miniatures game uh, at Sons or Zoltant or ESR Napoleonics. We released. Uh, uh, a new edition of that a year ago this past january that's gone off rather well we had we had hoped to launch our own miniature line later that spring and un- unfortunately we'll probably end up talking about the the unfortunate events or the, <laughs> unfortunate or not the events that yes. that resulted in that's happening now instead of then um and and what have we got and what are we launching with are, are different questions. So what are we launching with? We're, we're launching with um, two boxes. There are approximately um, 400-ish figures in each. I think the French might be a little under. I think the Russians might be a little bit over um, in each box. Uh, it It is... It's a complete command for a player if you're playing ESR. Um, it's it's a couple divisions of infantry all fleshed out with artillery complement, with sapper teams, um, with cav, appropriate disposition of command figures and elite figures we include bases we include flags we include um generals and such so you can build that box and you can your buddy can build um an opposing box and we're launching with the french and russians to begin with um and for the the mid-war which is 1808 to 1812 so we've got our, our 1812 book is available our um our first Iberia book covering 1808 in Spain and Portugal is available. The French are also useful for there. Um, and the Russians less so. The Russians less so. <laughs> Those would be some yet more unhappy Russians if they found themselves in Spain. <laughs> um, it depends. Like, you know, a couple of Spanish women, they're probably fine, you know? Yeah. Sharp-eyed readers of Tuesday Newsday have already known about these boxes because we've we've put them in Tuesday Newsday both the last two weeks. Uh, well, as people are listening to this, like three and four weeks ago, people would have would have spotted these already in Tuesday Newsday. That that hey, these are coming. Here's here's where to go order them. Yada yada yada. So th- those are available for pre-order now. Um, and they also include stat cards. They also include order markers. So it's it's a playable set out of uh, the box. You, you need to grab yourself a rule book and um, whatever amount of tabletop or, terrain or a you want. that has a rule book. Right. Um, and, and sit down with a bite. Um, but um, those are those are available for pre-order now. We plan to be shipping them in July. We'll have them at Historicon with us unless, I don't know, something horrible happens. Um, and they're $79 during the pre-order period. They're scheduled to be 100 bucks after release, $99. Um, and insanely cheap for the number of figures you've got in there thank you yes that was the plan 
<laughs> that was also part of the holdup, to be fair. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm I'm not the Napoleonic expert. That's why we have Jim here. But I, I do have a sense of what the market looks like just from checking things for Tuesday Newsday all the time and being able to go back and add those for folks and say, hey, this is on sale. This costs X amount for this kind of set. Um, you know, by the way, it's on sale, but it still costs a house payment, you know, all those different things. So so yeah, if you're under a hundred bucks for a complete playable set of 400 ish figures that's a ridiculous deal it's not um it's not 400 infantry guys i mean i know i just kind of went over the contents but i mean there's we use rear area markers in esr called reformation areas and so there's there's wagons and train teams and uh field forges and caissons and neat cool stuff that you normally kind of pay an arm and a leg for in the general market um is is in there but we we wanted to make it as approachable as possible from a cost standpoint and from play yep so so we we've now got french russians assuming that there's others coming at some we're not going to ask you to commit to a date given the odyssey it's taken us to get here but at some point in the future we're going to see some additional ones at this point i think we've rounded the corner on on the monopoly board we're in the middle of the game jim take over Um, okay, this is the box for those who have played ESR is intended to be a force. Yes, that's correct. The The two boxes that we're starting with are complete force packs. I'm, I'm just I'm making notes over here. I'm trying to do uh, <laughs> is I was wondering if I said something wrong. Jim just goes silent. No, no, no. I, that's that 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 that's sort of I guess you say that. So I just but I I did want to confirm it. No, I, um, I know what's going through Jim's head. What's going through Jim's head right now is that he's he's told everybody multiple times emphatically he is done with the arts and crafts of of miniatures wargaming, and now he's trying to figure out how he can go back on that statement without looking <laughs> like he's gone back on that statement. That's what's going through his head right now. Well, we can help you, Jim. I- <laughs> You're not going to help my sense of honor. You're just going to help me get miniatures, which 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 are lovely and fun. So looking at looking at the minis, I guess I want to ask you, and I, I we may have asked you this the first time around, and I'm just curious if you you have uh, the same opinion, a different opinion. If you have an opinion, are metals dead for minis? Not yet. But I mean, long term, there's a lot of things that are slowly dying. I don't know if metals are gonna. I don't know if metals are ever actually going to die. But I think that you are going to. I, I think that you're going to see a, a constant progression away from metal, and and so the question becomes. Um, it's like any kind of measurement. At, at what point is it small enough that people go, it doesn't really matter? Um, I think that's a distance out yet. You're, you're going to see a, I believe that you're going to see a large transition as um and i don't want to i don't want to sound dismissive in this but there's a there's a sea change in generational player base there's also a sea change going on in generation of business base and the companies that that we all three know and and i'm guessing lots of your listeners know um that have been with us for so long that we would think of as sort of the the hallmarks of um of mini gaming or of, of historical miniatures gaming um 
I honestly don't think that a whole lot of those are going to be sold. I think that you they mean the company are... being sold, not the inventory. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I think I don't think that those companies are going to transition ownership to a new generation. Some may, um, but I, I suspect that most won't. Um, and, and and that's for well, a handful of reasons. Sort of projecting as a member of the industry, this is not that you've Correct. got some kind of insider information from having talked to these guys. You're just no. taking your best. Your best. No, this is shot at this. this is just my impression of of what is likely what I think is likely happen. This is not based on nobody told me any secrets of I'm not selling and and yeah. it's going to the grave with nothing like that. Um, I the reason that I suspect that the the companies that we know and have loved and have supported the hobby to this time and and will so for for a time yet are unlikely a transition ownership is because of i suspect the technology transition that's going to happen in in manufacturing you ask are metals dead well they're not dead yet but right now it is less expensive for me to create a line than to buy one off of somebody it's less it's going to be if if you owned a a prominent miniatures company for the last however many decades and you wanted to retire and you were going to sell it to me the likelihood that you could justify selling it to me for the cost of starting a new line um probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense and and a large part of that is not because um of the strict costs you've already got a manufacturing environment great except that's not a value to me because i'm probably not going to use your manufacturing environment i mean they're trying to find a way to do hips or i'm trying to find a way to do co cast okay so Um, so, okay given just that how is it not dead i mean i I mean it, it, it i i think this is what i was thinking of is when you when you made the comment that you're now and I'm assuming whether whatever the extension might be you're designing STLs correct and you're getting we're, we're STLs. doing digital sculpts they get exported to an STL a master gets printed or if you're doing hips or PVC the CNC machine uses that STL file um, okay. to to do its churning on the metal so the um, whole the whole model no pun intended I guess of metal minis the things I've loved since I was younger than my son that's weird um but that i've loved since i was younger than my son is built around a craftsperson scraping away at a model creating a master and then pouring a liquid metal into a mold and the thing that as you correct of of course you're right you you do this i don't but the thing that was a value were those models were the were the 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 green the green stuff figures yep and the molds well you don't need any of that right and- from a from a business transitioning standpoint right there's that's and that's the problem that's why i look at it and say that the likelihood that um that that some random linchpin of the industry that's been around for for 20 or 30 or 40 years is likely to be around in 20 or 30 or 40 years under a, a second or third generation of ownership is low is because um i'm not better off buying their ip right they're they're intellectual property the greens 
and the master molds, I'm not better off buying that than I am creating my own. In fact, if I buy theirs, that's probably just a bridge until I can afford to create my own to replace theirs, at which point, why did I buy theirs? So is that just a function of the evolution of manufacturing and production? Or is that a function of you wanting sort of your own artistic stamp on what it is you're doing? Is that a function of these things are just old and going to wear out after a time? What I, Look, the right answer is probably some combination of all of the above. But I, I think old. it's the first one. I, I think that it's it's a change in, in manufacturing. And I think it's a maturing of the industry. I think that you've got... Um, Wait, so Jim, so- did he just call gamers mature? No, no. He said the industry is mature. Okay, okay. Just checking. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, sci-fi and fantasy did this a long time ago, right? And they they had different economics of scale and a different market to do it in. Um, It's it's related. It's it's not that distant i mean we're i would argue that we it's not like we're cousins we live in the same house even um but (laughs) but the they they moved to um a model of some mass manufacturing also a lot of business to business oem production and it's not like that hasn't existed in in metals right i mean there are metal casters out there and they're a bunch of them metal doesn't really scale or the crap um it's very labor intensive um and and that was sort of acceptable until the pandemic and then metal cr- prices also went stupid high and so now it's highly labor intensive um if anybody's noticed the labor market appears to have changed over the course of the last 5 years as well you don't say um, and, and I may have noticed and the material got more expensive and it came down, but it didn't, it's not going back to where it was by any stretch. So the, you know, the material got more expensive, the labor got more expensive and it's labor intensive to deal with. Oh, and it's toxic. Um, it's, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Don't, don't oh, breathe in when you're, when you're atomizing. It'll kill you. The tin in the melting pot. So the the great thing about Mel was that it was very cheap to get into. You, you could spend a relatively low sum of money and get a metal casting setup. Um, and that that provided low cost of entry for companies to start up. But there's nowhere to go from scaling it is is it doesn't. So you might be able to scale your business, but you're not be, you're going to be able to scale that bit. And your business is built around that bit, so you're always going to suffer from it. Um, high impact polystyrene is your traditional hard plastic. Um, that is not easy entry level. It, it, the costs are high right you're gonna pay 10 grand a mold now that mold's never gonna wear out as far as you're concerned right it'll do a half million shots um and and so for miniatures production you mostly just don't care it's life is infinite but it's a high cost of entry because you're not going to need one mold we would need we'd need a lot (laughs) And, and and so there's there's an issue there the output is less expensive the other thing about that is that that that's now available in the u.s um and it it wasn't 15 years ago it wasn't 20 years ago you you can hire a u.s manufacturer um to do hips and to do hips well and i i think that that the domestic factor matters because most miniatures companies are not 
Games Workshop or Warlord or Battlefront. Most miniatures companies exist between um, Firelock, who's not small. They're not tiny. Um, They're much bigger than I am. Um, But they exist somewhere between, you know, most companies exist between Firelock and me or or just south of me, maybe. Um, And... So the question is, what can we spin up? Well, can I put somebody on a plane to China if we have a quality problem? No, I can't. Can I put somebody on a plane to Florida? Yeah, I can. Okay. So do- domestic yeah, production Florida, matters. You know, <laughs> don't get me wrong, Florida, but uh, um, but but domestic production matters as as lowering the entry bar for for smaller shops to be able to start off because it's not just the cost of doing the thing; it's the cost of managing and administering the thing and the risk associated with that should it go bad. And and you can you know you can you can fly across the country and it might cost you a grand for the weekend which isn't nothing but it doesn't even get you in the cargo hold going to china <laughs> it's it's not <laughs> it's it's not another what 16 hours from san francisco yeah. <laughs> plus a whole bunch of preliminaries so it, it lowers the entry bar a lot and i yeah. think that that's important <laughs> I, I think I got way off base on your question, but no, did I, that... well, I mean, I, I do think it's interesting that look, the, we, we did a big thing, you know, two years ago or so when the, the supply chain stuff was just going batshit crazy about how game costs were starting to, to spiral and skyrocket because of just shipping issues. And part of it was pandemic related. Part of it was cargo space availability related. There were, there were a ton of different reasons. Some of it was just straight up resource constraints, but, but the truth was a lot of manufacturers in the board game space, not the mini space, but in the board game space were stuck having to use overseas printing, whether they wanted to or not, simply because the manufacturing they needed did not exist in North America. The people they needed to make specific kinds of, uh, of, you know, boxes or punch boards or whatever it was simply did not exist in the U.S. And, and it's funny because people that don't know the industry will say, well, sure it does. You're just not looking hard enough. We're talking to people whose mortgage payments depended on getting these answers right. I'm going to take their word over some Internet chucklehead chiming in on a YouTube video. Sorry, I just am. <laughs> Book printing. The, the guys... As simple as book printing. Yeah. I, book printing is not simple, but in the scheme of things that the human race has figured out how to do, yeah. book printing is simple. Yeah. And, and book printing got hard over the pandemic, yeah. right? I mean, the, the consolidation of printers in the industry has been huge, and it, it puts a lot of pressure. The shop that I might have gone to um, five years ago and said, hey... Can you run me a you know two thousand books um, for a print run? And they'd go, oh yeah, that's sure we can do that. Sex number of dollars, it'll take thirty days. Maybe yeah. it'll take six weeks. Um, when the pandemic hit, between the pressure on them from consolidation, um, along with supply shortages, I we we literally had um, a printer tell us it would be nine months. Yeah, yeah. Well, from but, from so the that, time that we was, submitted the files. Yeah. So that that was the lead into 
you guys are finding actual no shit manufacturers that are creating physical goods for you here in the U.S. And that's kind of cool. You know, that's for for whatever other supply chain issues might have happened. The fact is you found somebody here in the U.S. that can do this stuff for you. And and I, I'm not just trying to be all jingoistic, you know, rah, rah, USA kind of stuff, because I know we got listeners in Europe and around the world. And that's great. But the, the core of your of your uh, of your buying public is probably U.S. based. The core of our listenership, I know the stats because I've looked at them, is like seventy percent U.S. based. So, so that's the audience we're mainly talking to here. You found somebody stateside to make this stuff for you, and that's that's kind of cool. That's the, you are a rare bird in the game world at this point. It, it's it's been positive, and it, the biggest thing to it's nice to be able to say, man, the USA, because I mean, I was a yeah. you know grew up in the eighties, but um, but but just from a practical business standpoint. Uh, I got a good friend who says, you know, the best contractor you'll ever have is somebody who's within driving distance so you can put your hands around their neck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm a and big it's, fan it's of just, go, it's harder to screw with people when they're farther wrong. away <laughs> or yeah. when they're when they're closer. When they're farther away, it's easy. Yeah, I, I, so, I, I'm a big fan of being able to go stand on someone's desk to get something done if you have to. Yeah, it, it it's distance does have a, a specific business effect. Yeah, yep, yep. I think we're throwing this back to Jim to sort of pick up with, we keep digressing out of where Jim is going with stuff. Well, no, and and I'm absolutely fascinated. I I have actually, one of the questions I was going to follow up with is the one you suggested, Brant, which is, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that, you know, and, and I'm trying to picture what a physical plant now looks like. Are we now saying it's more accessible to, yes, local firms, local craftspeople? And it sounds like, yeah, we're all getting a shot at it, which is really cool. But but now now I want to ask. I'm looking at your fig, and I think you know what this is, David, because you've painted miniatures. Um, you look at a mini, and you sort of pick the paints off your shelf that you in your mind in your mind. Like, okay, that's probably French blue, and that's going to be that white, and we'll do something there. But the second thing you do is track around the mini to figure out what's going to be what is confusing. Like, what is that thing? Yep. And also, what am I going to hate having to get at? Yes. You know, what, what, what is, is the physical what? access of the end of my brush? Right. I've got paint on my brush, and I do not because I don't care if the whole freaking world is going to be standing six feet away and looking at my 10 millimeter mini. I'm going to know that the underside of his <laughs> arm, right by that pack, has a spot of white on it when and, it should and be I'm, blue. I'm looking at, you know, I've got you know, two inches from my eye spun up at some weird angle, but that is the angle from which I am viewing it. And therefore I am concerned. Yeah. So I guess as a designer of minis or as someone who has to supervise at least the production of minis. Yeah. That part more. There you I, I wouldn't say I designed them, but yeah. yeah. What, what's the hardest thing? Um, Oh, that's a, I'm not sure. Uh, Way to stump the guest there, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pondering here. So the I guess the hardest thing is okay, and this ties back to to some of your other questions. The hardest thing is that it's digital. Huh. Okay. So so what's the process look like, right? The process looks like in, in broad strokes, we've we've got published campaign guides, we've got these uniform plates. They're 2D art um, line drawings that have been covered and colored so people can paint from them. Those are what we provide to the sculptor. Those are the, uh, it's not primary source, like primary source with research, but that's the primary material that we want them using. 
because as you say how do i identify that bit and our answer is there are no bits on the sculpted figure that we produced that we sold you that are not represented on the uniform plate in the painting guide that we sold you you're, you're not going to go oh gosh but he's got this thing on his back i don't know what that is because it's in the painting guide there's a there's a one-to-one relationship for that um so the the sculptor does that great then they send me generally they send me screenshots eventually they'd send me stl so i can spam around um and look at them more easily because i'm not spending time in zbrush which is what they're primarily sculpted in um and the, the big problem is the fact that on my screen, the thing is huge. And in in reality, my thumb is huge compared to the figure. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, yeah. oh man, and that's a, that's kind of a mind trip. Yeah. So you, so you evaluate it in a very different form than it is ultimately to be. And that yeah. that's, that's very difficult because there are times that um, the biggest concern that I have in dealing with the sculpting team is that I am hassling them about a thing that doesn't matter and converse... <laughs> Conversely, because it won't, you know, I'm going to shrink it. And and I mean, our miniatures, we've printed them bigger because um, the masters are printed before they're um, put into molds and injection molded. But, um, but, and we've printed them bigger and you can print them quite a bit bigger before they start looking like they're missing things. But um, the, the converse of that is that am I not hassling them about something that I should, that I'm going to regret later because you know the oh here here's a question you guys have got um you guys have got pre-production uh french line and french legere so mm. did you notice the pockets are wrong no come on jim did you notice the pockets are wrong i i totally definitely did not they're 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 fixed on the production ones so nobody will care but and and i don't know why anybody would notice but somebody out there may but oh the, no, the, no, no no hush hush that <laughs> that would be on miniature marketplace within days but the if not hours the the figures that you've got the pre-production ones have the the legere officers have got horizontal pocket flaps instead of vertical ones brant we have collector's items uh and and i'll tell you the biggest kick out of this that i get is they're 10 millimeter and they have pocket flaps <laughs> yeah yeah there's yeah. a square buttons joke just waiting to be made oh no brant brant don't don't you realize that joke is now officially morphed into pocket flaps <laughs> Yeah, but it's really hard to make pocket flaps out of high impact plastic that we can attach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Le bouton, yeah, le bataillon de bouton carré. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah I the, mean, we, the, we've made square buttons for everybody but Vance that they can wear on their on their badge lanyards as part of their flair. We we would have a hard time doing pocket flaps. The the hard the hardest thing, Jim, is is maintaining perspective of the the way you evaluate it is so very different from from the final product in in terms of the size, and so you you pay a lot of attention to things and you second guess should I be so concerned about x or y or whatever you know should i be concerned about the the angle of that shako brim and it's yeah. like oh well definitely i should look at it it's glaring it's terrible well then you shrink it to you know yeah. the size of your your thumbnail and you go oh well crap it doesn't well, it, it's fine. there's a facebook group for wargame artwork that it's it cracks me up because people post these four inch square you know, hey, check out these counters I made. And they're like, you know, super detailed line drawings with a with, with a watermark flag in the background and like 17 different numeric factors on there. And you and, and so you put in the comments, hey, what size are these going to be printed at? Five-eighths of an inch. 
<laughs> there's a zero percent chance you can read fuck all on that counter at five eighths of an inch. Well, right? and so that that's really nicely detailed Swiss guard is going to be a blob of lines at that point. And and four years ago, you know, when when we first started this, the first I've still got I probably have STLs on it. I might have ZBrush files of it, but the first um, draft figures that we had done. It was a, a British flank company guy in a stovepipe Shaco, and it, it mm-hmm. looks amazing. If you shrunk it, it would look like crap. You know, the, the amount of, we, we yeah. spent oh, close, probably around three, four months, maybe a little bit longer, maybe closer towards six, was, was getting over the hump of how much do we actually have to remove before this is, before it, it's useful in the scale that we're going to deal in. You know, the the thing that we originally started with could have been several inches high and it will look great. Um, But you make it one to 160 it would, it would look like garbage and so you kind of there's there's always an exaggeration and and i would proudly say that i think that ours are better proportion than any i'm aware of in fact I, I i honestly think that they're better proportion than than quite a bit of stuff larger than them un, until you get around 25s or 28s but that doesn't mean that they're true proportion to people if they were true proportion to people you wouldn't like them well you, I was, you, that, 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 was that actually was that actually was my next question because that is that surely is one of the eternal questions of every model maker right yeah it's that if if do i make the head big enough to take detail big enough to notice it even though if you really looked at it this guy had the head of the size of a watermelon yeah and and ours are it's it is strange to talk about because um ours are a lot truer proportioned than what's available on the market but that doesn't mean that they're true proportioned you know their their hands are bigger than my hand um Mm -hmm. are are their hands the mall that you're used to seeing no um but they're they're still not actually the scale size of a hand because if they were there wouldn't be a place for you to put paint so now we're gonna make hand size jokes okay (laughs) no i i'm still stuck on horizontal pockets don't you worry about it (laughs) (laughs) and and will be for some time yet trust me trust me you comes the 10th season of the Armchair Dragoons podcast, mentioned in Dispatches. Let's thank all of our Patreon supporters who pledged at the top level. A huge thank you to Staggerwing, Martok, Patrick Garrity, Fred and his dog, Mike Quigley, Joseph Knorr, Trump Corey, Robert, Patrick Mullen, Kevin Bertram, Chet Bell and Hellcat6 for their support of the Armchair Dragoons in helping us to bring you the best strategy gaming content on the web. You too can sign up as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchair dragoons. So I, I think, and I, 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 I'm, this is not a facetious question. I'm, I'm throwing it out there in case you guys know things that I don't. I think that we're the first mass-produced, digitally sculpted plastic line in this scale. I don't think for for Napoleonics. I don't know about other. I'll defer to Jim because I wouldn't know one way or the other. I mean, yeah. Jim's trying to figure out whether or not tabletop simulator figures count. No, yeah, no. I, I, I. Could there be something sitting in a warehouse in Sri Lanka waiting for paint? Yeah, I guess. But anything at this size, anything at this scope? No, I mean, there is, to Brant's earlier snarky remark about my having eschewed the arts and crafts side of the hobby, a phrase I got from him, by the way, Um, (laughs) you know, 
having said that, this is truly a where have you been all my life type deal, you know, because this is Same what Paul, I Paul, Minnesota, mostly. I, I've lived a couple <laughs> other places. I was in North Carolina for a while. I lived in Cali for a while, but this mostly is here. Ve- this is very much what I wanted to do. I mean, I, I got, as as is known by the folks who follow this channel, I got into 28, I got into 25 millimeter minifigs because that's what the, the group here at home was playing. But I very, very quickly saw the merits of 15s and frankly, given my other interests and the fact that my paintings, you know, not to say you can't paint these to a standard, I can see certainly how you could, but given a nice balance of playability and paint, um, or, you know, gaming and arts and crafts, it is it is truly a, a really cool thing. I, I just think I would have noticed it. I really do. I mean, back back in my day when uh, when Ross Heroics was dominating the small scale market, I mean, I had a I had a friend once who painted up some Civil War guys referred to the artillerists as the little matchstick guys, <laughs> you know, because they basically wrong. they got a, a dot of flesh, a bunch of gray and a red cappy. That was it, yeah. you know. Bam, 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 bam. Even the sixes that you see coming out from Bacchus and things. But no, in terms of this scale, mass produced in this in this material, yeah. Uh-uh. I mean, obviously, my first question was centered around, you know, was centered around the fact that you have terrific companies like Pendraken and some of the others that do tens. And they do nice would, stuff. Which which would slide up very, very nicely and look very good next to each other and, you know, produce some useful comparisons. But um, I want to I, I want to flip the question I ambushed you with, perhaps to something more positive. Looking back now down the road as far as you've come, what are you proudest of? Um, <laughs> uh, that it exists at all. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's actually right, put the, words in your mouth. I don't mean the, to do the that. answer. <laughs> the answer is actually that we got here. Um, it it's been it was a rough road, uh, and I'm not in any given moment. It was. Um, well, uh, I'm trying to think of um, of an analogy for it, but it's so it's been four years, and approximately two years of that was trying to get them produced. We we had minimum viable product two years ago, um, but we didn't have uh, an ample production solution available to us. We we had we've now in some way shape or form worked with or or talked to in significant ways um 10 different manufacturers um to to do production for us as an oem uh we've paid money to six or so around a half dozen to do stuff um most of which effectively comes out to education's expensive um and and nobody has screwed us i mean this is i guess that's something that i should probably frame for purpose of perspective pretty well the the last two years of trying to get these into production was really really hard and while we dealt with a whole bunch of people none of the people that we dealt with treated us bad or wrong that still didn't mean we could get it done yeah (laughs) It it, yeah. it took us to here. Um, so it's it's not. I mean, looking back on the question of is is there an emerging B two B market that allows for OEM production of of plastic either by hips or by CO cast um, in the U S. Yes, there is. Does that mean that it's easy? No. You know the the appeal metal's not dead because I could go do it in my garage, right? 
metal's not dead because i could buy the equipment i could buy a spin caster i could contract out the mold vulcanization mold making and vulcanization and i could produce them in my garage and it has a relatively low this it's not that it's unskilled by any stretch the the people who spin metal know things, but the skill required to start is not incredibly high. Yeah. The skill required to do it very, very well is a different story like many things. Um, and and that's still true today. That's still going to be true tomorrow. Um, but and, and the fact that there are a dozen or so um, OEMs that can provide plastic manufacturing even if they didn't succeed in doing it for us under the conditions that we had and the needs yeah. that we had blah 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 um speaks to the fact that that is moving forward um so, in in north america i do want to ask so you you mentioned that you know it's taken you a couple of years and and some trial and error and working with a variety of different people to find something that you were happy with and, and, and somebody that could do what you wanted done to, to fulfill your vision in terms of taking that long, was it waiting for somebody to actually develop the technology and ability to do that or to, to actually stand up a facility or was it that those people were out there and it just took you a while to find them? The second one. Okay. Um, I mean, we, we've been talking consistently for the last, I guess, going on 30 months talking to to different manufacturers it's it's okay. not like we were spending long periods of time where geez we're in touch with nobody we just can't find somebody to roof my house yeah. um it, yeah. it, it, it wasn't like that it, it was um that we we find somebody and we engage with them and we go okay so this is what we need you to do this is the specs blah 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 um these are the numbers that we're looking at this is the msrp that we're looking to fulfill for these quantities of these things uh and and therefore that puts our cost basis around here what can you do and somebody will go yeah i i think i can do that what we were asking for was hard yeah, yeah. i mean we you asked me at the at the front end of this um you know what are we talking about we're talking about a box that's got approximately 410 millimeter plastics including lots of horses and cannons and wagons and stuffs um plus bases plus flags plus um order marker tokens plus stat cards uh and it's under 100 bucks that in itself was not easy yeah, yeah. if we wanted to charge 300 dollars for it it would not have been hard <laughs> we, we could have done that um but you would have fit right in with some of the companies out there <laughs> yeah um <laughs> but, but but trying to do it at the at the price points that we wanted meant that the quality control had to be really really tight the efficiencies had to be really really high um and and that was difficult and so it was yeah i think i can do that okay we'll go down this road for a while we'll try uh what are we getting out well this is the yield that we're getting out well you know this is what this looks like well i've got this molding problem i'm not sure that we can make these castable unless we radically reduce the volume per shot blah 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 blah. um and and those aren't invalid problems those are totally you know true problems um it's that's part of and, and we're using, I've mentioned it a couple of times, but we're, we're using CO cast, which is, um, it's, it's thermocasting, right? They, they melt plastic and 
shoot it in under pressure, under vacuum into a silicone mold. Um, it is different than a HIPS or a PVC where you are shooting it into a steel or aluminum mold. There's goods and bads um, about each of those. And, and the product is a little bit different. Um, but thermocasting as a tech is not new. Thermocasting in miniatures production is kind of new and and so there's there's a lot of of spin up time in terms of skill within the industry if it's new for minis what was it used for before i have no idea i I do know that it's existed for for some period of time but i don't know the history of the tech i I mean, probably, hip, probably Kia parts, you know, it, it could be, I mean, you know, hips, you think of what's, what's high impact polystyrene used for. And you're like, oh, well, it's used for making models. Well, it's only used for making models because I used to put together tester models. The reality is, is that there's probably a bizarre amount of random stuff in my house, including yeah. the spork that I got from some random restaurant <laughs> last week that was, that was Knobs done on hip. your toaster oven, you know, right. Um, and and so you know the the technology is not new, but it is new to yeah. this segment that's using it. And and we were not asking for a very entry level thing. We're doing stuff that's really small is hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's you know you guys watched Inner Space. You know, it it turns out that miniaturization is not easy. Um, And so the and that was was part of the problem that we ran into with hips was that hips is unforgiving of um, undercuts, effectively catch points in the mold because it's it's using a metal mold. You cannot remove something that catches. And so you can't have that. Okay, well, that's fine. I might. 25 or 28 millimeter figure um on my you know even like 20 ish millimeter figure i can dull that edge that relief for the um for the chevrons on the drummer's arm and no one will know the difference i won't know the difference but the figure's big compared to the amount of angle change that i did okay well now we're doing a 10 millimeter figure and the angle change is comparatively huge to the surface area of the figure yeah and makes the detail look soft um because we we worked with an absolute great hips guy um for, for several months trying to figure out how to make it work there. And it was what we were asking for um, simply wasn't going to work. And our, our it didn't help it at all. It was a substantial problem there. Our miniatures were not originally sculpted for hips. Our figures were sculpted for metal or, or CO cast. Um, yeah. and, and so had that been done differently, we might be down a different path. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that goes back to some of the trial and error where you mentioned sometimes education is just expensive. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, at the end of it all, you want to end up with a product you're proud of and, uh, you know, that, that you're happy to put your name on. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people wondering, you know, okay, great. We've got this on pre-order. Now what's next? Right? So are, are, have, I'm sure you guys have a plan in mind. Uh, has it Has it formed enough to where you're able to talk about what's coming next, when we might see it? Obviously, these are going to show up for Historicon or very shortly thereafter, uh, start landing in people's mailboxes. By the time you come join us at Origins next summer, what are you bringing with you? There you well, go. so I, I can talk about everything but dates because I don't, it's it's a question of production capacity right now. We've got, yeah. we, so the we spent the last two years trying to get production going, but we didn't stop development um, during that time. So we, we've got around 550 um, unique sculpts right Seems now. Seems like a few. 
<laughs> for for 15 nationalities. We've got French from 1804 to 1815. Everything but the guard. Uh, we haven't done great coats yet, though I'd like to. We've got... Trying not um, to judge you. <laughs> but we we've got them in bicorns. We've got uh we've got chassers in in uh Leger chassers in side plumes. We've got grandiers in bearskin bonnets, we've got voltagers in coal packs, we've got um all, all the different things. We've got all of their calf done. Um again outside. Yeah, of the just guard. think about all the painting you're gonna get to do for the next four or five years. <laughs> we've we've got Austrians from 1804 to 1815, except for the Lanver, um, are complete. We've got Saxons for the mid-war. We don't have, we don't have 1806 Saxons, and we don't have 1809 Saxons, because they were a bit different. We do have 1812 Saxons done. We've got Portuguese for 1808 and 1809. We haven't done the, after they started changing their uniforms yet. We've got Spanish so the the Iberia campaign guide for those who have that in the back has a sampling of the hodgepodge of uniforms that the Spanish New Army regiments raised wore. Oh, yeah. um, we did figures for all of those. Ooh. So that's I don't know, a couple dozen. Um We've got we've got the German division in Spain. So we've got Badeners and um, who else was there? Dutch, converged Dutch, and um, uh, now my brain is going without me. I was apparently shouldn't have gotten into such detail. Um, but we've we've, we've <laughs> got you should, re- you should regret nothing. The Nassuers for there. We haven't done. There was a there were a couple squadrons of Hanoverian Cav that were in French service. We haven't done those yet, but we will. Um, we've and done. It's taken a long time to not answer what's next. We've done polls. We have done the Vistula, including the Vistula Legion. Uh, we've done Wurttembergers. We've done Bavarians. We've done Russians, obviously. The last bits of Russian Cav, not all the Russian different Cossacks, um, and not the Opaleshi, the the foot militia. But we, speak the, of, we speak with reverence of the Opolchenya in these parts, but that's uh, because we have people who lost very badly to them at Leipzig. But the... Um, but the rest of the Russian cavalry that we don't have done were started today. Um, the the Prussians, we've got late war, again, minus uh, reservists and uh, and Lanver. Um, we haven't done early war Prussians yet. Um, so we, we've got quite a bit sort of in the back bench. So what comes next, it's going to be a question of production capacity. If if we are able, we've, we've got goal, we'll have stuff at historic, with us at Historicon. If you if you go to the wargamingcompany.com and you pre-order something, you have an uh, option to have it delivered to Historicon. Um, it'll go to resellers and distributors starting in August. Um, depending on how fast production finishes that, we'll be starting the next thing. Um, and the next thing will, will probably be more French and more Russians because right now we're starting with just a core box of each. Um, but we we do have a couple of campaign guides in the works and we do have a Spanish campaign guide published. And so our goal is to move towards one-to-one with our campaign guide so that when you order a campaign guide, 
you can order the figures there in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Jim, to your question of compatibility and you don't plan to do everything. Um, no, we totally tried to be as compatible as possible. Yes, you're correct because why wouldn't you unless you're insane um people have existing collections whatever that's just the way it is um but we do plan to do everything i i'm i mean that as literally as our campaign guides we don't plan to depict anything in a campaign guide that we don't produce a miniature for that i think more than anything would be the true i'm absolutely willing to stipulate that nobody has worked with this sort of quantity and this scale and this material but that probably more than anything else would be something no other Napoleonic serving company has done. And it's, it just don't, I mean, I, I think of first companies I have great respect for. I want to be very clear, like the Perry's um, and people like that, that really do create some beautiful, beautiful minis, but even they freely admit to borrow Jervis Johnson's phrase, they're a bit of a magpie. Well, and it's, it's hard not to be because it's a grab bag of the, the number of different, I mean, we're going to do, we've effectively done French twice. Uh, we're going to do them a third and a fourth time when we put them in great coats. We're going to do them a fifth time when we do revolutionary figures, assuming that we get that far. Um, you know, we've, we've done Austrians for before and after they change our helmets. We're going to do them again each way in gray coats, assuming that something doesn't stop us. Um, <laughs> very good. And, and, but it's, there's, and my, my point's not so much, oh my gosh, we're going to do all the things. Um, my point is there's a heck of a lot. There's 30 different German countries. Now, are we going to do all 30 different Germanic states? Probably not. Um, but we are going to do we've we have the benefit that we choose to that we chose to produce this line of campaign guides. And so it was we pick out a bunch of scenarios for a historical campaign based on what we think is playable and interesting and important to the narrative of the campaign. And then that dictates what troops go into the uniform guide and what troops go into the uniform guide dictates what figures we make, um, you know, physical miniatures of. I want to ask, like, I I know your wife does a ton of the color plates and the uniform research and everything and like the actual book artwork. Are you making her paint the figures too? No, (laughs) no, uh, we, yeah, no, that doesn't go. I was wondering uh, how deep you were going to delve down that, down that path of, you know, putting the wife to work. You know, we, we have a pretty wonderful partnership and the, the problem that we actually run into both with each other is, uh, I can ask you to do this thing, but knowing that there's only so many hours in the day, that means that there's some other thing that I can't ask you to do. Uh, because one of these things is not getting done. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there's a lot of, of that sort of calculus in our our relationship it's it's very practical that way but but we we have a pretty wonderful partnership and um the it it's not very typical in this industry but if you go out of this industry i don't know that it's weird yeah yeah i I was just curious i wasn't sure uh you know again knowing that she does so much of the artwork for you um yeah she I mean, she does a hundred percent of the, I color them typically. Um, but she does a hundred percent of the, um, drawing of the, the line art of the uniform plates. And she does the majority of the research, um, 
that's somewhat shared but she does the just because it has to be it's collaborative but but she does the vast majority of the research on there it is i still give her a hard time of the fact that mostly she doesn't know what anything's called um and i don't often either but so terminology is a failure point but if you point at the object we're like oh yeah I can tell you all sorts of random idiosyncrasies about <laughs> when that Old cuff was introduced. Turn backs. Yeah, casks. goofy stuff. Um, but, you know, oh, that's a Swedish cuff. You know, yeah, okay. so of course it is. What did you think it was? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> so I guess I, since you've answered the all question that I had, if you're going to, and I know I know you, you hurt yourself with this stuff. I, I know this to be true. What uh, if people come to Historicon? How many how many demo slots are you running? Oh, I haven't done the math. So we've got um, at Historicon, we're running two games on are scheduled for Thursday, so that's eight. Um, Friday, I believe we're we're you know the pandemic hurt us. We're we're dependent mostly on on volunteer GMs for our for convention support, and uh, a lot of things changed with the pandemic. Just with people's lives changing and moving and what have you. Um, and we've we've got a great team, but they're not necessarily all available when we wish we they were. Um, so on on Thursday there's eight slots open on Friday there's four in the morning and eight in the afternoon so that puts us at a total of 20 Thursday and Friday and then Saturday there's eight and eight so that's 36 right yep. so there's there's 36 player slots that will be I don't know when the Pell opens or when the Pell gets distributed or when registration opens but there's there's 36 player slots um, for Historicon um, available to to get in and do a you know, intro to um, ESR Series Three. Um, the we'll we'll have miniatures there for sale. We'll have miniatures there for display. We have not changed over all of our demo stock. I mean, we're we're kind of coming down to the wire with production. I mean, we're um, they're literally in production now whole bunch have been produced um but but we're going to be running production pretty close up to historicon for the initial run um and so the the miniatures on the tabletops for our demo games will will not be the miniatures we're releasing they'll be the ones that we we had previously um supplied through a a relationship that's ended um when when we provide our esr box set several years ago um and and we haven't changed out that demo stock yet though that does provide a little bit of a nicety for people because if you happen to be going to historicon and you want to say hey i want to know how these compare against you know other traditional 10 millimeter brands we'll have both um we'll have both painted and unpainted in our booth and so you'll be able to hold one up to the other and see yeah so you sent us these very nice little sprues of the unpainted minis and we've got the photos of them attached to this episode so folks can see what they're getting into horizontal pockets and all my question is when are you going to send us some painted ones Because now all you've done is give me homework. <laughs> I thought Jim was going to send you painted ones. Yeah, I, I was. I was going to say I was waiting for that to come around. Well, you know what? We haven't got. I mean, it's kind of come out. Jim, you have assured me that you were done with the arts and crafts. I wasn't. I know, right? Well, you know, but then then cool things happen. 
you, you guys have said some generally complimentary things. And I very much appreciate that. But I, I have not. The the one question that I had for each of you was, what do you think of these? <laughs> oh, I think I answered that. <laughs> When I when 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 I made the inappropriate advance to a married man, I mean, you know, I, <laughs> how would I, how so, would you describe them to people who have not who don't have them sitting in front of them? Great. Well, man, Brant, that was a better question than we asked. Um, yeah, it was, but the, but that's uh, not unusual, right? You'd think that I, I think has been I, doing this podcasting thing as long as me would have a better bank of questions built up. I want to I want to talk to my brothers and sisters because I, I got to believe that I got some sisters out there in the Napoleonic gaming community. If, if you're into this for the Perrys, if you're into the 28s, it's all this other stuff. And that's where you game and you're on that 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 range and stuff. Still check them out. They're super cool. But th they're they're not your thing because you're looking for that. If you are 18 and below, which means you're AB, Essex, Mini, Old Glory, all these other things. Check them out. <laughs> Take a look. So here and and why and why because because people have begun to embrace the smaller scales. Why? I think a couple of reasons. Number one, although we owe an immense legacy to Don Featherstone, I really should say Mr. Featherstone, um, and Jack Scrooby and Morshaw, Joe Morshauser and these other guys that founded our hobby, they played with 25s because 25s is what they had. Yeah. And as we've opened up the world of Napoleonic gaming, as it has become more sophisticated, as it has learned from board games, the smaller scales have come out. And I'm telling you something, finding a miniature like this affordable, well-sculpted, good materials. I, I'm, you know, I, as I said, I'm doing the the pre-prep, the trim, the base coat, the paint, all kind of in my head. And I'm seeing a pretty straightforward, fun process. I really am. So I, I'm not the minis guy that, that Jim is, although I do have a giant stack of World War II stuff up on the uh, the mm -hmm. top shelf of the, the game shelf here. Um, here's what I'll say. And, and, and for folks that are not minis folks, I hope this resonates with them a little bit. One of the cool things about seeing those giant minis battlefields is seeing the giant minis battlefield, right? You've got these mass regiments of little figures stomping their way around the battlefield that, that somebody had taken the time to lovingly do all that art, the, the, the arts and crafts work on these things. These guys look good enough that I wouldn't want to put them in such a mass formation because then you wouldn't actually see the detail on them. Like they, that, I know that sounds completely batshit crazy to Napoleonic gamers. Like, what do you mean you don't want a whole regiment of French guy no like these guys look good enough that I would want to be able to inspect them at an individual level and go wow that looks really cool not like have to pick up a whole rack of them and like kind of get it at the right angle to see how the backpacks are painted or whatever um so so as a guy who's not a minis gamer but can appreciate the work that goes into prepping the minis for gaming that these these are figures that deserve to be individually inspected for the level of detail that they have on them, even as small as they are, because it, it's remarkable how good they look at that size so i mean they look good at any size but it's especially at this size how how good they look for for where they are that they're really nicely done and and even when i showed my wife who doesn't know squat about wargaming stuff other than it takes up a lot of my time she was kind of looking at me go wow these these are really cool um you know that that's not permission from her to get into the mini side of the hobby mind you <laughs> 
but but she we can, can help you <laughs> no 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 <laughs> i have more than enough to do without without adding an arts and crafts project to this so um but but i think that's that's the thing i would say and i i, I mean that you know with with all of the nicety that i can possibly cram in there these guys look really good and and shoving them onto a base with 48 other figures to me would be like well damn it now i can't see the detail right <laughs> you know <laughs> um you know, and, and and again, like half the Napoleonic guys are busy yelling back at the podcast. You know, what, what's this moron talking about? Well, let that, look again. I'm not a minis guy, but, but you know, these look cool. If Jim were zooming in on these in Tabletop Simulator, they would make a really good splash graphic for Saturday Night Fights on the front page of our website. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. So what you're saying is, is that Jim is looking for sponsorship on Saturday Night Fight? I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, no. that you jump to that conclusion yourself. <laughs> I am. Not not going to claim credit for other than to say that i drew a bunch of hopscotch squares on the sidewalk and you have to you know trip over them as we start to wrap this up you know again this this off the wall oddball special edition of, of mention and dispatches that we've snuck in here um you you've told us when we're going to see these escape into the wild and given us a sense of sort of what the backlog looks like so we can hope to start seeing what's next obviously as as we start to see new campaign guides from you that that sort of tacitly lays out the roadmap of what might be coming next in the boxes of minis um uh, are we going to start to see any sort of painting competitions or the arts and crafts skills kinds of competitions, or are these just straight up paint them, put them on a map. Let's go play games. Um, that would be lovely. Um, the, okay. So we're, we're trying to wrap up and now you just kind of opened up a can of worms. <laughs> uh, the, I, I was literally talking to somebody this afternoon about the fact that um, the things that make historical gaming difficult to get into are, are not rule books. They're not miniatures. Um, they're, they're the social community aspect of it and, yeah. and building communities around, around game systems is not easy um and, and you know people often look across the water and they're like oh england it's the place where the miniatures games happen oh <laughs> it glows but it's so warm yeah it's also the size of like new jersey um the the fact is is that here it actually takes more than 20 minutes to reach the other side of the country so you have because our our density is so much different um that mandates that our, our communities are are a lot different just because we're more dispersed and the built building painting contests and and um and remote campaigns and, and I'll, I'll i'll give it our plug to firelock because they're they're good friends and they're they're great people and they make really nice stuff um with with blend plunder it has taken them uh quite some time to build a community and they've been very fortunate in the community partners that they've met the enthusiasts that they've met this is still a very very incredibly enthusiast driven hobby and that's true on the sci-fi and fantasy side as well um i'm i'm not only a historical gamer i'm a big battle tech guy i've been playing battle tech since i don't know i was short um <laughs> and since battle droids yeah. yeah i i did come in after battle droids although my okay. my my earliest copy of the rule book is the the white 
staple bound one that that came in a starter rocks um but you know they just did a 7.5 million dollar kickstarter with a 40 year old game yep a 40 fucking year old game oh they just did a seven and and a half million the essentials box that they cut yeah yeah and they're they're BattleTech is in target exactly (laughs) in target and there are people I understand where they're coming from. I understand the emotion of they're like, oh, it's an exclusive. Yeah, they're in Target, okay? So Target's order... They said this on their their AMA session. Um, I think Randall talked about this. Was that um, their deal with Target is for the same number of units that they sold over four years? Yeah, I think it was four years. And that Which that's doesn't the surprise in, me. That's the initial order. So yeah. and and people are like, oh, money sellout. No availability. <laughs> They're putting it in front of people who never would have freaking seen it before. Yeah. So, um, so a couple of things there. One, nobody complains about Munchkin selling out when it shows up in Target, <laughs> right? So that's number one. Uh, you know, and 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 nobody complained about like Seven Wonders selling out when it showed up in Target. Um, the the gatekeeping guys just drive me batshit crazy. Those, those guys annoy the hell out of me. The the flip side of it is, you know, if if you're the college baseball player who gets a chance to sign a pro contract for a million five, you take it and run, and nobody says, "Oh, that guy's a sellout." <laughs> if you're Catalyst Games and you get a chance to put generational wealth in your pocket by selling your game in Target, you take the money and run. And anybody that complains about you selling out can go stuff it. <laughs> well, and seriously, I, I'm I'm going to tie it back to the community thing though, because the the reason that they had a seven and a half million dollar Kickstarter is in in their second one. You know, there I don't remember what uh what the clan invasion Kickstarter ended at. Was it like two and a half? I think um, it was just under two and a half. Okay, um, but but mercenaries that, that was, out of water, right? And the that's i mean mercenaries did i think two and a half in the first 12 or 18 hours yeah um but that is it's community driven there's a ridiculous amount um people who are involved in the artwork that are that's eating to the models that we are now pledging money for on a kickstarter are not career sculptors who got a gig at catalyst they're people who loved BattleTech and wanted to give to that community and that was i'm i'm not saying that it's all altruistic or that there's no compensation i have no idea i don't know any of those arrangements are i don't know how any of those people fit into the mix by except for the fact that the way that they got connected initially was they wanted to be part of this community they didn't go audition for a job like they were auditioning for a 7-eleven job yeah yeah. and whether it is um you know firelock has got great partners with blood and blood and pigment what's blood and pigment it's a bunch of community enthusiasts who care about the game and are involved and are helping make it grow and that's the the community nature of our hobby is is not I, every so often I get questions about how is our hobby changing and how are historicals changing and blah, 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 blah. And is the world ending and are metals <laughs> dead? Um, yeah. But, hey, I, but the, I, I haven't left. <laughs> but, but the fact is our hobby, our, our big H hobby, our, our large umbrella, all of the different types of sub hobbies are under it is bigger than it's ever been. It's more popular than it's 
ever been. Um, it's offering better quality. It's offering greater diversity of offerings in product, in games, available to a broader audience than ever before. And that is entirely due to community. That's entirely due to the enthusiasts that say, hey, um, I really like this game and I want this game to do well because I enjoy it. So I'm going to try and do some stuff um, to support this game. And maybe that stuff is I go to my local hobby shop and start asking people if, if they want to play this on Tuesday nights. Yeah. And and maybe this is I start posting pictures of the stuff that I paint for this game that I like on Facebook. Yeah. Um, and maybe it is I go to game conventions and I put on an event. All of those things, some are bigger, some are smaller, some are things you're doing already, some of them are not. Um, those are what decides how successful a game is yeah those i mean ultimately yeah i people are going to see this it's a form of advertisement somebody is going to order stuff and i am thankful that they are going to and that is fantastic um honestly if they never play it after they buy it from me that does not make me happy that makes me sad um so you you asked earlier what was what makes me proudest about the the miniatures project being able to get done and get shared with people the we started the wargaming company in 2015 like january or february and the first goals that we had were um don't lose money because it was our own um and amazing how um, low the bar is when you start you know <laughs> right try not to lose money because it's yours um and i wanted to someday walk in somewhere and see complete strangers playing a game that i made yeah that that was like my high thing and um it was 2016 i'm trying to remember what the year the last historicon in fredericksburg was there were more games i'd be 16 yeah there were were more games of ESR Napoleonic being run by not us than were being run by us. That's pretty cool. They were by people I didn't know. And I was <laughs> like, holy shit, this is so <laughs> cool. Um, so the. Did you- did you geek any of them going so uh what do you think of that game <laughs> so the you know as, as far as the miniatures, with the sunglasses on you know <laughs> boy I, as, I heard esr really sucks what do you think <laughs> this game's terrible it doesn't let me like, win the way i want to <laughs> but the the thing that i'm i'm proud of the most with the miniatures is is that we get we're getting them out there we get to share them with people we did all of this work and it wasn't just for ourselves yeah. you know people can have these we're we're going to produce them and we're not economics or economics we have to make we have to charge enough for them that we can afford to do this but um and we have to charge in we have to charge low enough that people will buy them um but it it's still a community-based hobby it's it's still if if you don't want to make the place better then you're in the wrong place you should be getting famous somehow and there's nothing <laughs> wrong other. with there's nothing wrong with making the community a little bigger either though right I mean, and that's a whole separate podcast mind you but yes <laughs> but but there's nothing wrong with that either so um david thank you very much for uh for taking the time to join us on this one um and jim thank you very much for you know ducking out of whatever familial commitment you had to be here for tonight appreciate that too so but i'm sure there I, was something <laughs> oh, i, I, yeah, I want to thank 
both of you very very much for for making the time and and putting adding this in um because that is another form of community support and yeah. what what you guys do is is great. No, I uh, I, I enjoy the podcast. It's just we, we got to put it on summer hiatus because at a certain point I have to actually finish all the prep work for Origins to make all that stuff go. And and <laughs> which like is another said, way that you support the community and the yeah, hobby. <laughs> as you've said, there's only so many hours in the day to go around, and and sooner or later I got to go be dad at a certain point as well. So oh yeah, yeah yeah. <laughs> that too. Um, so great uh audience look we, we've got origins coming up shortly come see us there we're probably gonna do a couple of live hits from origins as well we're gonna be back uh with the actual real next season of the podcast in the fall once these have escaped into the wild we're gonna we're gonna see about maybe bringing david back at the uh toward the end of that season to see how it's going with uh with, with the minis and uh and and how far behind he is on production to keep up with all the orders you guys have given him and uh and maybe by then he will have actually committed to whatever comes next we'll, we'll see if we can get there too um so for now uh thank you and good night and we appreciate you guys listening to a special edition of mention and dispatches